we're beginning a brand new series looking at the Gospel of Mark. And uh, we rotate through different types of um, studies, studying books of the Bible, doing topical series, and through different types of um, sections in the Bible, different genres. And so we're, we're going to study the Gospel of Mark um, for the next little bit together. And I love the Gospels, so very excited to sit in this together. I'll, I'll give you more information as we get into the sermon in terms of background on Mark and things like that and in future sermons. But uh, for now, let's just begin by looking at this passage that um, starts off the whole thing. You can see it printed in your bulletin. It's Mark chapter 1, and we're going to start by looking at verses 1 through 8. So hear now God's word. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we need you. And so I simply ask this morning that as we come to uh, this text, you would give us um, your spirit to slow us down to, um, in the midst of everything, even we talked about this morning, but also just everything all of us have going on. Uh, you'd help us to really be here, open ourselves up to you, to what you want to say to us this morning and through this whole study, um, but particularly now as we look at uh, the beginning of this gospel. Um, help me, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Several years ago, there was a psychologist named Stephen Stosny who first coined this term, headline stress disorder, in an article for Psychology Today. And, and as it sounds like, he used this term to describe the stress that comes from having too much exposure to negative news headlines. And since then, uh, as people have talked about this more, have written about it more, it's, it's picked up a simpler name. The, the name, bad news fatigue. Bad news fatigue. And reports say up to 70% of you and I deal with this. For one, because we've just got so much news coming at us either way, good or bad. But then two, because the overwhelming majority of it seems to be bad. Bad news about wars, Violence all over the world, natural disasters, mass shootings, political scandals with another election coming up, all the negativity that comes with that, concerns about education, concerns about the economy, so much bad news everywhere you look. But it's not just out there in the world that you get bad news. Right? You just have to look at your own life and it's easy to get overwhelmed with all the bad news you see there, stuff going on with you personally, suffering, loss, disappointment, unfulfilled desire, stuff going on around you, in your community, with people you love, obviously stuff going on in our church. 
And you find your, it's easy to find yourself in this place where I know I've been lately with everything going on with us where you, you look around and you, you just want to ask, like, is there any good news? Does anybody have any good news for me? Like good news that's, that's really true. Well, when Mark, a, a man the New Testament calls John Mark, set out to write this book we're going to begin studying, he was writing to a group of people actually not that different from you and me. He was writing to a group of people who desperately needed good news. These were people living in first century Rome under the rule of a wicked emperor king named Nero. They were, they were living in a time and a place where being a Christian was not a good look for you at all. Personally, professionally, socially, physically, because you, you actually might get killed for what you believed. Being a Christian at this time was not a, a pathway to having a happy, successful, well-balanced life. It was bad news. There was so much bad news. And into this, what does Mark do? Well, into all this bad news fatigue, Mark comes along and he writes a gospel. Good news, that's literally what the word gospel means. It was a Roman term often used in connection with the emperor. It was, it was a term that meant good news that was a cause for celebration. A term that, that meant a historical event that would impact everything about the world around you. And so what Mark's doing with this gospel is, he's saying, and to all your bad news, I've got some good news. I've got some good news that will change everything for you. And unlike the other gospel writers, Matthew, Luke, and John, Mark doesn't waste a lot of time getting into it. He doesn't really give us a warm-up. He doesn't tell us about Jesus' birth or give us any genealogies, any of that kind of thing. He just straight up tells us what this is all about, what the good news is all about, because this is how he starts his opening line. He says, the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Right away, he gives us the point. And you'll see this all the way through the book. Mark is, Mark is a man of few words. He's very direct. He's very simple. He tells you straight up what he means. And, and right here up front, he says, here's the good news. It's about Jesus. It's the good news that Jesus Christ, the one true king, has come. He's here. And this fall, all the way through next summer with a break in early 2024, our plan here at Hope is to study this good news together, to see more deeply what it means for us today and how it, how it impacts you and I in this world we live in that is so often filled with bad news. And what we're going to do this morning as we get started is we're simply going to unpack really what's the big idea of the whole book as we look at these first eight verses. And it's this, that Jesus is the one true king, that Jesus is the one true king. And we're gonna look at three things we see here in these opening eight verses about it, three pieces of good news. First, we're gonna look at the good news of the king's identity. Second, the good news of the king's agenda. And then third, and finally, the good news of the king's people. So first, the good news of the king's identity. And I just said, Mark wants us to know right out of the gate that Jesus is the king. He's the one true king. But where do you see that? Well, you see it in the word he gives us after the name Jesus, the word Christ. Because contrary to what you might think, Christ is not actually Jesus' last name. So this afternoon, uh, if you're dialed into the NFL, you know this, but it's week one. So the Panthers start. I'm a huge Panthers fan, and, and I've got my new Bryce Young jersey ready. 
And uh, I got a little jersey shirt for my two-year-old son, Banks. So he's ready. We're ready to go. But like any jersey, what does it have on it? It's got Bryce Young's, Bryce's number. And then on the back, it's got his number and his name. So number nine, Young, right? So if Jesus was an athlete, if Jesus played for the Panthers, they'd probably win the Super Bowl. <laughs> but Christ wouldn't be, the, if he had a jersey, Christ wouldn't be the name on the back. Because it's not his last name. What is it? It's a title. It's a title like president or prime minister. And it's a title with a rich history in the Jewish tradition. It means the anointed one. It means the, the Messiah. It means the long-awaited king who would come from God to rule and reign over his people in all goodness, strength, and power. He'd be completely just. He'd be totally trustworthy. The kind of king, even the best kings like David, only pointed to in a small way. Mark says from the start, this is who Jesus is. He's the Christ. He's the king. But then he goes on and he says something even wilder. Because he says he's also the son of God. Look again at verse 1. He says, the beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the son of God. That's a huge statement. But it's also a, a little vague. What exactly does he mean by this? Because... In the Bible, sons of God or sons and daughters of God, it can refer to us as human beings, as children of God. It can also refer to angels sent from God in different places. So, so what exactly is Mark saying? Surely he means one of those two things, right? Well, verse 2, he keeps going. He says, as, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And what Mark's doing here is he's, he's putting together a couple different quotes from the Old Testament, one from Malachi 3 verse 1 and one from Isaiah 40 verse 3. And they both point to a preparation figure who we're going to see is this guy named John the Baptist. But when you go and read both of these verses in context, you see that the person who's, who's going to come and prepare the way, the person he's going to prepare the way for, isn't a normal human being. And it's not an angel or a special messenger, but who is it? It's God. Look at Malachi 3.1. This is God speaking. He says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before who? Before me. Isaiah 40, verse 3, a voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, of Yahweh. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So Mark is saying the good news is this person, Jesus of Nazareth, who's come, is the Christ. He's the one true king we've all been waiting for, but he's no ordinary king. He's God. Son of God means what it sounds like. He's God. He's not just a great man. He's not just a wise teacher. He's not just someone who lived this extraordinary life of service and sacrifice for others. Yes, he is those things, and he did do that. But he's the one true king. And he's God, and he's unlike anybody else who's ever lived in history. And that's why it's like Mark can't get this news down on paper fast enough. Not that the other gospel writers aren't also excited about Jesus, but one commentator said, it's like if you use your imagination, you can almost envision Mark out of breath 
as he's writing this opening line. He's so excited to share this news, just like we are when we have good news to share. So a couple of weeks ago, we were at the beach as a family. And uh, speaking of news, if you followed the weather, you may remember that's when the hurricane uh, was coming up from Florida up the East Coast. And being from the mountains, um, this was a new experience for me, not a hurricane guy. And uh, when I heard it was coming, it was, it was bad news. Uh, I was not doing well. There was probably a lot of built-up anxiety from the last month I was working with too. Uh, but I was a mess. I was so anxious. I was obsessing over whether we should leave or not. I was checking the weather every five minutes. I was looking out the window and it felt like everybody I saw was leaving. Um, when really they weren't, or if they were, it was because they'd already planned to leave. But I'm like, why aren't we leaving? Meanwhile, the whole time, Sarah is totally fine. She's not worried at all. She's like, hey, we already know it's just gonna be a tropical storm by the time it gets to us. We've talked to all these locals. They say, you're good, like, just relax. But I, I couldn't until finally, that Wednesday morning, I had a few minutes to myself. I did a deep dive. I watched this YouTube video from this uh, local um, weather person. And I kind of just internalized and prayed and I was like, okay, I'm okay. And I couldn't wait to get down to the beach and tell Sarah the good news, hey, I'm back. <laughs> right, overly anxious Aaron is gone, at least for right now. Mark can't wait to share this news because he knows it's not just some good news like I, I shared with Sarah, but it, it's, it's the good news for his original audience and for us today. For these first century Christians gathered together underground in catacombs because they're afraid of the Roman king to say to them, this is your king and he's the king. It's not Nero, it's Jesus. And for us, maybe it's a little bit different. We don't have somebody like Nero trying to chase us down. We're not hiding, we're here. But as you look around at, at all the bad news and you, how confusing it is, as you wonder what's going on, what's the point of all this, where is it all going? Is anybody in charge of the world, of my life? It says yes. And it's not fate. It's not random chance, it's not karma, but it's a king. It's this king. His identity is good news. Mark wants us to know that. But this is, this is just the start of the good news. It gets even better as you, you go from looking at the king's identity to his agenda. Because what is this one true king up to? Like, what is he doing, this king who's, who's so powerful and mighty, this king who's God, what is his agenda? We get some hints in verses four through eight that tell us about John the Baptist. And, and we'll cover more of this, a lot more of what we'll talk about in depth as we go throughout the book. But we get some hints here and it, it may not be what you expect. Because the first part is forgiveness. He wants to forgive us. Verse four tells us John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. See, according to Mark, John is the one that God sent to prepare the way for Jesus. And what does he do to prepare the way, to get people ready for him? He calls them to repent and to be baptized with this baptism that symbolizes the forgiveness 
of sins. And of course, the baptism itself doesn't do it, but it points to what's coming. It points to what this king is going to do, that he's going to forgive us for all the things we've done wrong, all the ways we have fallen short and that we do fall short, for all the ways we've hurt God, for all the ways we've hurt other people in our life, for all the ways we've, we've hurt ourselves. The king who has every power and right to leave us in it, to let us experience the justice and eternal consequences we deserve, doesn't. If you watched Ted Lasso, you may remember the episode in season one when Rebecca, who's the owner of AFC Richmond, finally comes to Ted uh, to confess um, everything she's done to try to sabotage him since he took over as the coach of AFC Richmond. And in this brutally honest confession, here's what she says to him. She says, Ted, I lied to you. I hired you because I wanted you to fail. I've sabotaged you every chance I've had. And she goes on and she finally ends by saying, if you want to quit and call a press conference right now, I completely understand. And in this powerful moment, Ted looks at her, he stands up, he walks over and he says these words. He says, I forgive you. He says, you and me, we're okay. He doesn't do what he has every right and privilege to do. He forgives her. And Jesus, the great and glorious king, the all-powerful king in a much more ultimate sense, doesn't do what he has every right and privilege to do. He doesn't condemn us. He doesn't let us fall into the pit of our sin, though you could say in a way we've, in all of our life, done everything to sabotage him. He doesn't use his great power to flex on us. He uses it to forgive us. And Mark gives us this this sneak peek that this is the king's agenda. This is the reason he came to tell you and me the same thing Ted told Rebecca. I forgive you. You and me, we're okay. So that's the first part we see here. He wants to forgive us. And then the second part we see about the king's agenda is he wants to bring his own power, the the very power of God, into our lives. Because look at what John says in the last verse, verse 8. He says, I have baptized you with water. But he, he who's coming, this king, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Mark says when when this king comes, he's going to give us the Holy Spirit, the spirit that comes from the Father and the Son, the very spirit that, as we'll see next week, came down and rested upon Jesus and empowered him through his whole life and ministry. That's the same spirit he's going to give to us to empower us as we go about our lives, to fulfill the purpose that, that God has for each one of us, and to connect us to him so that as as the New Testament talks about so often, we can be in Christ, we can be in the king. He can be in us, with us, whatever we do, wherever we go, all the time. See, he doesn't want to be this distant king that doesn't really have that much to do with us, but he wants to be close. He wants to be with us, and so he, he gives us his spirit. Later, the apostle John tells us in his gospel that Jesus wants us to abide with him to abide with him, to be in him. That's what the Spirit helps us do. And so you could summarize the king's agenda. What is it? He wants to be in a relationship with us. He wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants to mend what's broken in our relationship by forgiving us, and he wants to cover the distance in our relationship by giving us his Spirit to dwell within us. And I love here that we see this. This isn't just for like one type of person. Because maybe you're here and, and you're thinking, Aaron, 
that all sounds good, but I'm just not really like a church type person. I think about my life. I think about my story. I, I, I don't think I'm the type of person Jesus is really about. Well, I want you to listen to this detail Mark gives us in verse 5. This little detail. He says, in all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem, we're going out to him and we're being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. See, all Judea, that's the country. That's rural. All Jerusalem, that's the city. This is pointing to all different types of people coming. And that's just a preview of what we'll see through this whole gospel that Jesus is a king who's come for every single type of person. There's no one type. There's no position or pedigree or prerequisites you need to have. And why not? Because back to the, the main point, it's good news. It's not good advice. Mark doesn't start by saying, here's the good advice from Jesus about how to be forgiven and accepted by God. He says, here's the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and what he's done for you. And the good news of the king's agenda is that even though John's right, he's not, and certainly you and me aren't worthy to even untie his sandals, a task reserved only for the lowliest of servants, by the way. Even though that's true, Jesus didn't come to be served. As Mark tells us later in one of the most important verses of all this gospel, for even the Son of Man came not to serve, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's exactly what Jesus did. He's the king who can forgive us and bring us into an intimate relationship with God because he has served us, giving his life for us on the cross. See, on the cross, Jesus was forsaken so that you and I can be forgiven. On the cross, Jesus was cast out so that we could be brought near. On the cross, though he was perfect in every way, God said to him, you and me were not okay. So we can hear him say to us, I forgive you, we are okay. On the cross, Jesus lost all his connection with God so that you and I who trust in him can know we'll never lose it, that we'll always be connected. That's what the one true king came to do. That's what he used his identity, his power for. That's his agenda. And this brings us finally to the last piece of good news that we get to look at here in this introduction. The good news of the king's people. The good news of the king's people. Because what happens when you see this? What happens when you experience Jesus doing this for you when you don't deserve it? What happens when you personally are served by the king, when you receive him and come under his rule, it makes you into a different person. It changes you. Think about, let's think about John the Baptist here for a minute. I mean, John the Baptist was famous. I mean, he was so famous. He had people coming from all over the place, as we just saw, wanting to hear from him. He was the fulfillment of this amazing prophecy as the, being the forerunner to the Messiah the political leaders at the time know all about him, like he's a big deal. Jesus himself in Matthew 11 says that John the Baptist was the greatest human being who'd ever lived, which is not bad. He has every right to be a prideful, arrogant person. But look at him. He's humble. He's not focused on himself. He's not focused on his gifts and his accomplishments. He's focused on one thing and one thing only. He's focused on Jesus. I mean, he knows who he is and he knows 
who Jesus is. That's why he says, after me comes one who's mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. In John's gospel, he records him as saying, he, this king, he must increase, but I must decrease. You look at him and there's strength. He's bold. He's telling the truth. He's out there doing things, but he's humble. He's so rooted in the good news of the king that he's this amazing combination of strength and humility. There was an older man who used to come to the seminary when I was there um, once a semester. And uh, he worked for our denomination. He'd been in, in ministry for a really long time. And uh, he'd come to meet with students and to uh, talk about church planting. And when he was there, he'd always do this lunch where he'd, he'd teach us about something. And he was just this amazing man. Uh, but I'll never forget one of his lunches. It was my most impactful moment of all my time in seminary, all my three years doing it full time. And he, he did this lunch where he was talking about evangelism. He was talking about sharing the, this good news, telling people about Jesus. And he did this awesome presentation. He taught us so many, so many good principles and gave us all these inspiring stories. And uh, at the end of it, one of the guys who was there with me listening to this, he just raised his hand and was like, hey, that was unbelievable. Like that was one of the best things I've heard since I've been here. Can you, he, I don't even know what he was trying to say, but he was just like, can you somehow share that with everybody? It was so good. Like he was praising him. And this man, I'll never forget, he, he looked at him and, and looked out at us and he it was like he couldn't get any words out and he just broke down weeping. And he finally got something out, something to the effect of, you know, I just, I just wish I was better at it. I wish I did it more. I wish I had more of a heart for people who are lost and don't know Jesus. See, he was broken as this man was praising, as this guy was praising him for all what looks like these great accomplishments, he was broken because he was just thinking about how he paled in comparison to Jesus, who loved him so much, who'd gone after him. And see, so like, that's it. That's basically what John's doing. It's an embodiment of, of John saying, I'm not worthy compared to him. And, and that's what Jesus, that's what the king does to you. When you know him, when you follow him, that's the kind of person he makes you into over time as he loves you, as he serves you. You become a person of, of strength, even power, but it's, it's not from you. It's not because of you and how worthy you, you are, and you're not even really worried about that. It's because of him. You're, you're so concerned with him and how worthy he is. And don't you want to be a person like that? Don't you want to have that kind of strength and passion and humility in your life? Don't you want to be around people like that? Don't you want us as a church to be a group of people like that. How do you get there? Well, John says, all you have to do is repent. You repent and you receive this good news he's telling us about the king. And what does that look like? Well, I'll close with this. As she's getting older, May, who's our um, four-year-old daughter, our oldest, um, her and I are talking more and more about some of the stories and, and characters I love, you know, foundational ones like Batman, the Avengers, um, Lord of the Rings, Ethan Hunt from Mission Impossible. But we'll talk about all these and I'll give her kind of the context and the backstory. And it's been really fun. Um, she loves it. And, and she'll ask me from time to time as we talk about these, like, Daddy, is he real? Or, or Daddy, is, is she real? And I'll say, well, 
they're real characters, you know, in the stories, but they're not real-life people, you know, like, like you and me. But not that long ago, we were talking a little bit about Jesus, and she asked me the same thing. She said, Daddy, is he real? It was such a good question. And, and especially with everything going on with us, it's something I've been thinking about. But she put words to it, and I'm like, man, i got to think about that. But then I said to her, I said, yeah, man, he is real. He's really real. And see, in some sense, to repent just looks like believing that. Like, he's real. And he's come. He's the king, and he's, he's coming again. It's letting go from thinking you have to be the king of your life. It's to stop looking for the perfect king and recognizing he's already here. It's to see how much he loves you. He loves you more than you can imagine. He's better than you could even make up. Like John the Baptist and Mark 2, it, it, it's, it looks like seeing just how worthy he is of your praise and just letting yourself go. See, it's the good news of all good news. Yeah, there's a lot of bad news out there. It makes you tired, makes you fatigued. But this is the good news that can cure all of our bad news fatigue, that can keep us going no matter what's going on. And our, our hope, my hope for this series is that as we walk through it together, we'll see it, believe it, and let it change everything about us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this good news. Um, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is the one true king that we all need. And I pray that you would uh, give me and my friends faith uh, to believe it, either for the first time or a little bit more um, today, um, make us these kind of people, um, Lord, who do have strength and yet humility in our lives. Um, we thank you for this time, and we ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, aside from singing and uh, praying and, and preaching, one of the ways we come to remember this good news and to celebrate this good news together as a family is to come to this table each month. Uh, where we come, in a sense, to, to partake of the good news. Um, this table where we come to remember that Jesus is the one true king, where we remember his identity as the Christ, as the Son of God, where we remember his agenda, not to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for us, to forgive us and give us his spirit, and to be transformed. For on the night that he was betrayed... Jesus took bread and he broke and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Every time you eat of it, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. And if you're here today and uh, you believe that Jesus is real, that he's the one true king, this table's for you. It's that simple. Even if you just have a mustard seed of faith, this table's for you. But if you're here and, and you're not quite ready to make that confession, that's okay. We're so glad you're here. But instead of just getting up and, and walking and coming through the line and doing what everybody else is doing, I would encourage you to sit and, and think about this. Is he real? Do I believe this? Do I trust him to be my king? Uh, but if you're here uh, and you do, this table's for you, and I'd invite you to come.
It's our practice to come and receive the elements from up front. The officers will be up here. Um, the outer rings are grape juice, inner rings are real wine, and you'll see there's a few uh, gluten-free packages in each of the bowls that you can uh, grab if you're looking for that option. Um, so let me pray for us. If our officers will come forward, and then we'll, we'll begin. Let's pray. Um, Jesus, thanks for this meal and uh, this way that you um, strengthen us and strengthen our faith um, as we get to practice this. And so ask for your spirit and that you would help us to do that now. Would you set apart these elements from their ordinary to their holy use? Use them to feed us, to strengthen us. We ask in your name. Amen.